Thank you very much, Utsile. It's a six and a half minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM 104 to 107. Uh, coming up at this hour, police and uh, IEC officials have had to intervene when uh, a conflict erupted between ANC and uh, DA members at a voting station in uh, Ikakheng's Ward 9. This at Tlaokwe Municipality in uh, uh, in the northwest, uh, we'll be focusing on that particular story. As you know, there are many by-elections across the country in the Western Cape, about seven there. In uh, Bumalanga, also there is a by-election happening at uh, Albert Gosi uh, Albert Lutuli um, Municipality, and in the Eastern Cape, uh, many by-elections. So we'll be focusing on that. And uh, the situation also tends at uh, Kokosi Township in Fochville uh, on Gauteng's West Rand, following violent protests by residents that started. On Monday, that's another story that uh, we focusing on here on Midday Live on SAFM 104-107. But a uh, sad, sad story. Uh, if you follow jazz, uh, George Duke is no more. He, he passed on yesterday. He was uh, 67 years old. He, he brought us uh, Rhyme and Reason, that, that particular song, that big hit, uh, but also performed with uh, many, many, many artists. He's been uh, in the music business for four decades at least. Uh, my heart really just sank yesterday upon hearing the news of uh, George Duke uh, passing on at 67 years old. Uh, died of uh, leukemia and of course his wife died last year also. Just uh, some of the things happening across the world and we'll go to Kenya as well and look at uh, the latest at uh, the uh, Jomo Kenyatta uh, International Airport and see what is going on then. But here at home, former Gauteng Police Commissioner Perumal Naidu has died. Naidu died of uh, cancer in Durban at the age of 60. Naidu was born in Umzindo on the south coast of KwaZulu-Natal. He served as uh, the provincial police chief from 2001 until he retired in 2010. Edwin Sidi compiled this report for us. I call upon all loyal and dedicated members to act against this disease that is corruption. I also call all commanders to act swiftly and decisively against corruption. This is the voice of the late former Gauteng Police Commissioner Perumal Naidu. He has been described as a non-nonsense cop who was dedicated to his work. He retired in September 2010 after serving the SAPS for more than 36 years. Naidu received various decorations and medals, including the 10, 20 and 30 year medals for faithful and exemplary service. Naidu started his policing career in 1975 in Chatsworth in Durban. He worked there as a junior officer in 1985 after he received the South African Police Services basic training. The following year, he was promoted to a position of lieutenant for Special Guard Unit in Durban. He later became a staff officer. From 1989 to 1990, he became a station commander at Sittingham Police Station until 1991. Between 1991 and 1996, Naidu was station commander at the Chatsworth Police Station before he left for Davidson Police Station on Houghton's East End, where he was also station commander. The same year, he was again promoted to a position of deputy area commissioner. He served as area commissioner Johannesburg area between 1989 and 2001. Naidu then became the provincial commissioner for Gauteng until he retired in 2010. The DA's John Moody worked with Naidu for at least nine years. I had the privilege over the past when he was provincial commissioner to work with him. And um, I must tell you that I had found him to be a very dedicated police officer. Um, really focused upon making a difference in Gauteng and in South Africa. Naidu was the province police commissioner before Mzwandila Petros took over in 2010. Petros spokesperson Neville Malila. 
we are deeply saddened by the news of the passing of our former colleague. Our hearts um, currently are heavy with sadness, and we want to express our condolences to the wife and to the family of our late colleague. Our prayers and thoughts are with him during this difficult time of bereavement. Houghton Premier Nomvola Mukonyani knew the late former commissioner for working together with him during her tenure as the MEC for safety and liaison between 1989 and 2004. Mukonyana also conveyed her heartfelt condolences to the family and friends of um, particularly at the time when Premier was still MEC for safety and, and, and for, for, for community safety. So it's, 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 it's said by his passing, we, we hope that the family would find peace and solace at this grieving moment. Naidu also served under Firoz Kachalia, who was also the community safety MEC. He was a, a very uh, committed, dedicated, hardworking and principled man who was committed to serving the South African Police Service. Federal arrangements for Naidu are yet to be announced. Edwin Nsidi, SABC News, Johannesburg. It's uh, 11 and a half minutes past 12. This is a midday live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. We welcome your SMSs on 34701. We are a tweeting kind as well. Uh, we welcome your tweets at Kuala uh, B News at SAFM Midday Live. Emails also Kuala B at sabc.co.za. Midday live at sabc.co.za. Police and uh, uh, IEC officials have heard to intervene uh, when a conflict erupted between ANC and uh, the DA members at a voting station in Ikakheng's Ward 9 at Tlokwe Municipality uh, in the northwest. This is in Pochesrom. This after a DA candidate Jackie Dobolo allegedly reprimanded ANC members from conversing a few meters from the voting station. Meanwhile, voters are flocking in their numbers to cast their ballots uh, on today's by-elections. Let's talk to our reporter there, uh, Patrick Dintra. Good afternoon to you, Patrick. Good afternoon, uh, uh, Bongi. Uh, talk us through that scuffle that uh, erupted between uh, the ANC and uh, DA members uh, at the voting station. Uh, do you know about it at uh, Ikakheng's uh, Ward 9? Yes, indeed, uh, Bongi. In fact, what happened was just around 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, remember, the IEC policies uh, says uh, all parties who are participating in the, in the elections uh, should operate uh, some 100 meters away from the voting station. But in this case, uh, this morning, what we have experienced is that they were 50 meters uh, from the fence where the uh, voting, is, voting is taking place. So as a result, uh, the DA candidate, uh, Jackie Bobolo, went to the... Uh, IEC officials, who is the presiding officer, complaining about that. And he was also complaining about ANC members who were dishing out, you know, T-shirts to potential voters just in front of the voting station. So as a result, there was, you know, conflict amongst ANC and DA, so which uh, nearly broke into a fight, physical fight. Mm. But uh, the police had to, you know, uh, speedily intervene, and, and the IEC officials also intervened, and then everybody was, was instructed to, to move back uh, at least 100 meters away from the fence. And uh, it's a, it's a hot, hotly contested uh, by election. This one, uh, both the ANC and the and the INC, uh, and the DA, at least, uh, really trying to flex their muscles. But also, uh, some are even going as far as calling it a, a barometer to test uh, uh, the power base between the two parties. 
Yes, indeed, uh, Bongi. You will remember uh, this uh, uh, proper municipality has been on the news for quite some time. Uh, it emanates from the issue of uh, the mayoral's uh, position. Remember, Tatema uh, Tete was ousted as the mayor for Tlokwe and Mekombring uh, came in as, 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 as the new mayor for, for the Democratic Alliance in this municipality. So uh, what the ANC is trying to do uh, is trying to, with this by-election, at least that's just to, to win uh, uh, the elections that are coming. And uh, one of those elections is this one of today in what nine. Uh, probably if they win, they can, you know, uh, increase their seats in the, in the, in the municipality. And, and, and by that, obviously, uh, while they are waiting for next month's election, probably maybe they might win, they will increase their seats. As a result, they will be in majority again. They can again, uh, you know, pass a motion of no confidence again, uh, uh, Mayor who is the DA mayor now. And the DA themselves are, uh, and, and the majority, as we speak, together with other small parties. So uh, if they win these uh, elections today, they are also adding up into their number. So as a result, it means they will still, you know, maintain their majority in this municipality. Yes, indeed, uh, they are contesting. Uh, it is tough between the two parties. But, uh, Patrick, Patrick, it's important to, to point out that and clarify this point, that uh, this, this by-election has got nothing to do with uh, the recent developments there in, in Tlokwe, where we saw uh, Mapetle Mapetle being removed as the mayor and the four, 16 councillors uh, stepping, uh, in fact, voting with the DA so that he, 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 he is removed as the mayor and subsequently they, they, they were fired by the ANC, so to speak. This is as a result of uh, another ANC councillor who stepped down and decided to go back to, to teaching. Indeed, uh, Bongi, you are right. This election, by elections of today in what nine? Uh, has nothing to do with uh, this saga, progress saga about the 14 councillors uh, that way were, 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 were dismissed and then and, and, uh, because of the being accused of ousting uh, the, the DA mayor conniving with the Democratic Alliance. Yes, uh, this uh, by-election is as a result of uh, one councillor from the ANC who resigned. Remember, uh, the ANC came up with a policy from their conference that uh, you cannot uh, serve both as a councillor as well as a government employee. You must choose between the two. So as a result, this uh, councillor uh, chose to go to teaching because he's a principal. So he resigned, and as a result, there was a vacant. That is why there is by-elections today. All right, Patrick, uh, very briefly, just give, up, give us a roundup of uh, other uh, by-elections that are happening. What do you have there with you? Yes, indeed, Bongi. Uh, you remember in the, in the Northwest, uh, there's also by-elections in Mahikeng. Almost nine of the by-elections, including this one in the Northwest. You also have a, a by-election in the Eastern Cape uh, at Ngobo, where in, in Ward 15. Uh, we also have uh, by-elections in, in the Western Cape, uh, where three of the uh, by-elections are at Otsuori Municipality, where the DA needs to win just with one word to take control uh, over of the municipality. There's also a by-election in Mpumalanga, Ward 15, at Albert Lutuli Municipality. So these are the by-elections that are happening in other provinces. Uh, Patrick Dintra is our reporter in the Northwest. Thank you very much. It's uh, 17 and a half minutes past uh, 12. Uh, let's talk now to our reporter, uh, Tsepo Pahane. The situation is tense at Kokosi Township in Fochville uh, on Gauteng's West Rand following violent protests by residents that started on Monday. The community is demanding that the government deliver services as promised. Uh, Tsepo Pahane, just bring us up to speed with the situation there. 
Yes, good afternoon, Bongi. Basically, what's happening now is that uh, the residents are engaged in, in running battles with the police. Uh, what happened is that earlier on, um, there, there were officials, actually the mayor of Lerapun, uh, that's uh, Mr. people here, who was accompanied by uh, councillors and the community safety Ministry of housing, like Faith uh, Mark Google. Basically, they were here just to make a better sense of what is, uh, you know, the, the community drives uh, about, uh, you know, that led to them, uh, 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 you know, going on this uh, violent process. As you rightfully said, that uh, this violent process started on Monday and uh, it has been going on. We, we know that 35 people have been arrested uh, for, for public violence and, and, and that, you know, there are some uh, uh, houses belonging to ANC councillors, actually three houses uh, that have been, uh, you know, destroyed. But uh, we also hear that not only houses but ordinary people's houses also have been uh, destroyed. Uh, and also, uh, you know, it's a beach that has been looted, shops belonging to the Pakistani restaurants that have been uh, uh, looted also. So at the moment, uh, um, you know, the communities are, are very kind. Like, I'm, 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 I'm looking at them, they are like a mixer away from me. And uh, in the middle, uh, it's like, it's Mialas, uh, but it's Mialas that are standing in, uh, in between. Uh, the situation is such as that they are just engaging running battles. When the Yana approaches, they 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 spread, they go into the houses, and then when it passes, they they uh, they, they reappear. So that's the situation that, that is happening here uh, at the moment. Thank you very much, Tsepopakhane. Not uh, the best of lines there, but uh, thanks for that uh, update. As we heard that uh, 35 people have been uh, uh, arrested so far. Dozens of uh, foreign shop owners had to flee the area as community members went on uh, the rampage, blockading roads, stoning cars and looting shops. It's 20 past 12. A top story this hour, the police and the IEC officials had to intervene when a conflict erupted between ANC and the Democratic Alliance members at a voting station in Ikaheng's Ward 9 at Tlaoko Municipality in Pochevstrom. Looking at the markets this hour, gold is trading at $1,276.78 an ounce, platinum at $1,418.55 an ounce, the rand is trading at 9 rand 96 against the US dollar at 15 rand 18 cents to the pound and at 13 rand 22 cents to the euro. When the stream of jazz meets the stream of golf, you are invited to be a part of the fourth annual Standard Bank 12 Jazz Golf Day on the 20th of August 2013 at the prestigious Rand Park Golf Course. Entertainment by the internationally acclaimed jazz singer Renee Mari. For golf packages, email kidi at k-wave.co.za or call 072-338-2432. Joy of Jazz Golf Day, supported by SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. Thirty-two minutes past twelve. Let's speak now to Tolile George. He is the CEO of Salka, well, the South African Local Government Association, and the National Council of uh, Provinces, the NCOP. 
and NCOP have been meeting over the past two days to deliberate on a wide range of issues on local government. The meeting, among other things, focused on planning in local government and the importance of building a vibrant and active citizenry at local level and management of finances. The Auditor General, Terence Nombembe, also tabled the audit outcomes of the sector for 2011-2012. Mr. George, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, and good afternoon to all the SFM listeners. It's a very important meeting, this. Uh, it doesn't happen often. Maybe perhaps it should, because uh, local government is really uh, where local service uh, delivery takes place. Do you agree? No, I entirely agree on that. It's, um, it's a very unique um, opportunity that we have annually, having conceptualized the local government week as SALGA that uh, at the center of uh, service delivery, we must at all times annually review the impact of policies and laws that have been passed to improve delivery to citizens of the country. Mm. And, and a lot of issues coming through there. Just talk us through some, some highlights of uh, this, uh, this meeting. This meeting is, is what we call the Local Government Week. And why Local Government Week? We have in the main looked at the annual programs that Parliament normally does, exercising oversight by visiting communities, both at the level of portfolio committees as well as the National Council of Provinces. And SALGA were part of that structure in terms of the NCOP. But we felt that it's important that uh, at the center of our monitoring mechanism, we bring into Parliament what we call the Local Government Week. Essentially, it is a platform where local government meets and interfaces with provincial executives, meaning MCs, mm. provincial members of parliament, as well as NCOP members, to look at annually reflecting on progress and challenges that face local government. So we use the platform secondary to make sure that uh, there is a grassroots feeding back to parliamentarians how the impact of some of the laws and policies and regulations are assisting local government to implement its mandate. Second, how some of the laws, policies, and regulations play an inhibiting role in terms of uh, enhancing the ability of local government to fast-track services. It's an exchange program around that to to fit into the policy-making and thereby identify measures that must be put in place to improve the ability of local government to govern and uh, much better. I wanted you to pause there just a a moment when you're talking about policies, laws and uh, regulations that inhibit uh, service delivery. We we often think that uh, when when, uh, the municipalities get qualified audits when uh, they do not spend their money, uh, their budgets, it's it's because of lack of uh, skills and so on. But also we don't look at uh, some of the policies that are there that are really uh, uh, problematic. Quite certainly. There is quite a number of those, and we have done an audit of some of the laws that we think, much as they were designed to support the democratic project of improving local government, somehow they have intended to have what we call unintended consequences, where they might be playing a constraining role in terms of local government. Some of those relate to fiscal policies, some of those relate to financial management regulations, which are very essential, but some of the unintended delays in terms of how the 
the cycle of implementation gets impacted between the two spheres of government. You would remember that local government receives transfers from national government, sometimes transfers of funds from provincial government in some of the competencies that otherwise provincial and national government implements concurrently. Some of them, they are called uh, grant transfers, apart from equitable So we look at those areas. But that is not only the issue that constraints. Also, local government does have capacity limitations on its own, mm. apart from receiving the funds, because you will see also there will be evidence of funds that are meant for service delivery, but indeed due to uh, low levels of capacity in some municipalities, those funds get sent back. So we are identifying some of these measures which we think constitute barriers to undermine the pace and the tempo of local government delivery in terms of infrastructure. So annually we look at those, and then at SALGA we make a representation to the NCOP, we make a representation to the portfolio committees, and relevant uh, minimax where we say we think that the the overall trust of this law policy is right. However, because of these limitations, we are asking for review by parliament or review by national ministries, and we are making a positive impact. I might I must say, I can give you one example. Sure. One of the major battles that we have on housing delivery, uh, which most of the people uh, may not know, local government is not responsible for housing delivery. Uh, but in reality, when our people experience uh, uh, homelessness or impatience about delivery, it is local government that is at the, let, at the center of delivery. Let's look so on we the are f- able to say we, we, we want national government to devolve some of these functions to local government, and we have succeeded. I can mention now that six of the metropolitan cities of our country will now receive what we call full-level accreditation to be able to receive funds directly, to be able to project manage, implement beneficiaries and drive direct building of houses, which we think yeah. is going to be a major impact. Indeed, that's, that's a positive move. But let's look on the flip side. I mean, uh, uh, Mr. George, the Auditor General, for instance, has been talking to many of these municipalities about, uh, about uh, the same problems over and over again that lead to them getting qualified audits, getting disclaimers, and uh, much of them are housed in uh, the municipal finance management. So does this then uh, conference address that as well? Indeed, there are some of those internal environmental factors, but we also what we call exogenous factors, factors that are outside the immediate terrain of the municipality, but yet those factors impact negatively on local government. I've mentioned the issue of uh, shortage of skills. If you look at the ages outcomes for this year, the broad trust of the findings are around areas where you have repeatedly poor supply of skilled personnel to local government you would not be hearing this for the first time. The second issue is around uh, the need for us to professionalize local government, which as Salga, working closely with the Minister of, of, of Local Government, we are now putting together a professionalization framework for local government to make local government attractive. The second part is around dealing with those acute skills shortages. Okay. We speak of financial skills and engineering skills. And uh, we have partnership agreements with a number of uh, private sector bodies to make sure that the pipeline of support of skills to local government is actually enhanced. So we'll be making some announcements very soon around that. But indeed, skills issues oversight by politicians at local government is still cited as a weakness. There are measures in place. For instance, we've introduced now what we call 
municipal public accounts committees in local government. We All think right. working closely with audit committees, this will improve local government. And you're making those announcements, you know who to talk to. Thank you very much. Kolele uh, George is uh, the CEO of Salga. At 12.30, good afternoon. Utsile Sako with the headlines. All right, uh, we look forward to that. Uh, indeed, uh, great radio to come between 1 and 2 this afternoon. Don't miss it. Uh, talking about uh, alcohol, shibin owners, women shibin owners, uh, and all the challenges that they go through, uh, but also all the money that they make. Mm, very interesting. They, they're known as shibin queens, yes. Uh, that's what uh, my producers are telling me. Oh, sis Ruby, or they say, all right. <laughs> uh, but thanks also for your SMSs. Uh, Jabu Chilwane saying that uh, my condolences uh, uh, go out to ex Houghton Commission. Perumal Naidu's family. He did a great job in uh, the SAPS. May his soul rest in, uh, in peace, uh, says uh, Jabuchilwan, who also says, I hope the elections in Tloko will go well without any glitches. Uh, but the real deal is next month for the 14 seats that will be contested, uh, writes uh, Jabuchilwan on SMS at Gualapim uh, at sabc.co.za. I'll be reading your SMSs shortly on 34701, costing you two rand. Uh, and your tweets also at Gwalabi News uh, at SAFM Midday Live. The Municipal Demarcation Board is uh, reporting back on some of its uh, decisions regarding the proposals submitted by members of the public for the redetermination of municipal boundaries. Earlier this year, several municipalities in Gauteng, the Free State, KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape resisted amalgamation plans. Residents of Zamdela, for instance, took to the streets in protest against plans to merge the Metsimahulu and Nguate municipalities. For more on this now, we joined on the line by the chairperson uh, of the Municipal Demarcation Board, Mr. Landiwe Mathangu. Good afternoon to you, sir. Uh, good afternoon, Bongakala. Uh, good afternoon to listeners. Good to talk to you after that uh, lengthy process. Uh, what can you tell us right yes. now? You've been able to go around the country, listen to a, a, a number of uh, stakeholders, and you've uh, consolidated a, a report. Talk us through some highlights of it. Well, um, the key highlights, all I could say, is that, uh, yes, indeed, is that uh, this has been a, a culmination of the of the processes, you know, of the board, which, uh, you know, um, are really involved, among other things, really are doing um, uh, investigations of the various proposals before the, the, the board, but as well as uh, having, you, you know, public meetings. We have now reached a stage that... Um, um, uh, of all these proposals that we actually have, the board has taken a firm view, but um, um, hundred forty seven of those the board believes um, are possible and therefore in terms of the in terms of the um, um, you know legislation that governs the board, this would now be um, um, uh, you know uh, sent forward in terms of section twenty one of the of act uh, uh, in terms of which uh, people would be given further 30 days to have objections on the scenes you know, of the board um, so those are the ones that we are proceeding with mm. then there is um, uh, uh, others about four, 49 of those that the board have come to a conclusion that uh, based in terms of its um, um, you know assessment it has really uh, covered in our view solid sufficient and, and really compelling Evidence that suggests that to say these proposals won't proceed any further. So, as far as the board is concerned, those proposals, the end of the road is here. All right. So, what what is the next step now? You are briefing the media about uh, your findings, but uh, are you going to go back now to to the affected communities and uh, 
take them uh, through these these uh, decisions and and maybe even uh, seek their um, you know their thoughts around them. Well, I'm fine. What board would be now be like? Uh, uh, Mr. Matlano, can you just move around a little bit? Uh, we're losing you there. The, the, the line is not too great. Uh, Landeo Matlano is uh, the chairperson of uh, the Municipal Demarcation Board. Unfortunately, we have uh, lost uh, uh, that uh, line. Uh, he's talking about uh, reporting back on some of uh, the decisions regarding, you remember, proposals submitted by uh, members of uh, the public across the country uh, on uh, the redetermination of uh, municipal boundaries. Uh, you remember also what happened in Zambia. Dela uh, in the free state uh, uh, residents taking to the streets uh, protesting against plans to merge the Matsimahulu and Nguate municipalities so uh, we'll be looking at that and of course uh, what has uh, the municipal demarcation board said uh, or found so far you back Mr. Matlang thank you very much and uh, let's yes, the line yeah, is going to um, hold yes yeah, you were saying then are you going back to the, to the communities now to talk them through your findings no uh, what uh, the process would will take a form is that all of those proposals um, in terms of which the have for 30 days to actually uh, submit their objection in writing will publish in the various provincial government because it's a formal process now they have 30 days to actually uh, you know object you know, to those proposals and the board one has received those objections will have to look at them and and, um, and, and, and there's three things that the board can do once it is resolved if they're substantive it would probably vary you know this proposal if in view uh, of the board uh, the objections that it actually gets are not uh, you know it's likely to confirm those proposals. In cases where, for instance, it's a very clear case of obstruction, the board may also just withdraw those proposals. So that's where the stage is now. And, uh, and then in terms of the process, if you like, this is the final level. And uh, finally, uh, Mr. Masango, how uh, do these proposals and uh, the, these findings help uh, better management of, uh, of municipalities and also better demarcation uh, of, uh, of the boundaries? Yeah, you know, the overall objective, obviously, uh, the whole intention of all this business of you know, demarcation is to ensure you know, these municipalities better function, they function better, in other words, that uh, they are able to fulfill their obligation much better when they are, for instance, um, uh, 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 separate in case where we have to make. So those are the three considerations. In some cases, which is most of the cases, it's also just to ensure that we correct some of the some of the some of the anomalies that actually happen in terms of of of, of actually boundaries, such that we should bring certain things in the manner in which the the, the municipalities you know perform its function. So it's all for for actually it's all directed at making municipalities function better and be able to actually, you know, discharge, you know, their responsibilities much better than they are before the demarcation. We thank you very much, uh, Landi Masango, the chairperson of uh, the Municipal Demarcation Board at uh, 22 minutes to 1. This is Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 107. A family of a 14-year-old girl who was raped over the weekend is appealing for help after receiving threats from the alleged rapist. The girl was discharged from hospital yesterday following her ordeal over the weekend. 
She was allegedly tied to the car and dragged by the rapist when she was trying to resist. The family has been receiving SMSs from the alleged rapist uh, that should uh, they report the matter to the police, uh, he will rape her two siblings. Our reporter Pumzile Mlangenim is on that particular story for us. Uh, Pumzile, uh, just uh, talk us through this uh, ordeal that uh, this family is going through right now. Yes, we have been talking to the family and uh, basically this ordeal, you know, happened on a Sunday night. Uh, the, 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 the rape survivor, the 14-year-old girl, uh, was traveling in a car with um, a group of, of boys from the community. The boys are known uh, to the family. The alleged rapists are known to the family. And she says that she was traveling with them on Sunday night. And it happened that now they changed the route and took other routes, and they tried to rape her, all of them. Uh, but basically, we've heard from her saying that you know she knows she was raped, but she's not sure whether it's all of the guys, especially the family, because it's still early and she's still not opening up. So they're not sure whether all the she was gang raped or she was uh, raped by a particular person in the group. Um, they have been to the police and they have been, they have shown uh, the police the SMSs that they have been receiving and they're saying that no feedback from the police. Yesterday when she was discharged, they went back to the police station to actually show, um, the police the threats that they have been receiving. And just then when we, they were with the police trying to show them, another SMS came in, you know, and one of the SMS was signed off that if you continue to go to the police, you'll come after your two siblings. And this, this, the SMS which we saw was signed off with the words, the greatest rapist. So she's been receiving those threats, and the family now is afraid. They're actually scared of their, for their lives. And now that their the other three daughters have to go to school, also they have put that um, into account, saying that they are no longer safe in their community. Mm. Maybe we, we we need to highlight this. I mean, they, the, the family says that they've reported this matter to the police and nothing has happened. Uh, do you know which police station? Do you know maybe who is even in, in charge of this particular investigation uh, so that at least uh, uh, as the SABC uh, we are able to assist in, in so far as that is concerned? This is unacceptable. Yes, indeed. Uh, we have tried to talk to the police. Uh, we've been trying them all day. Uh, just uh, 30 minutes ago, we managed to talk to a Captain Shivambo. Uh, we've been talking to him, and he says, yes, he can confirm that a case was opened at uh, the EFTRS police station uh, on the east of Pretoria. And at the moment, he says he can't say anything as he is awaiting uh, permission uh, from the office of the provincial commissioner. He's been communicating with them. So for now, we know that there is a case. The case was opened, but we're still waiting for the police to get a go-ahead from the provincial office. That's when we can know uh, what really happened. At the moment, what he's telling us is that he can confirm that has happened, and until he gets uh, a go-ahead, we can't uh, know really what happened, and we can't get any comment from them. And uh, the condition of the young girl, we know that she was discharged over the weekend. Uh, what, what can you tell us about uh, her condition? Yes, she was hospitalized on Sunday and only discharged yesterday. Uh, she's still very hurting, you know, and throughout when you talk to her, we could not get many things from her. You know, she's indicated that, you know, this has not been happening. It's not the first time that she was raped. It's her second time, and it keeps on hurting her that the police are not doing anything. The first time she reported the matter, nothing happened. And here again, the same thing is happening to her. She says she's afraid for her friends, for her, uh, her, her sisters, 
and basically, you know, you get the feeling that she is really in need of help, and the only people she can rely on are the police, but they are not there to help her. And what worries her the most is despite showing them the SMSs, and as she knows the perpetrators, she's indicated that she can even go and point out um, the guys that she says are raped her, but the police still haven't done anything. Very sad story, this one. Thank you very much, uh, Pumzile Mlangeni, our reporter in uh, Tswane. There, uh, a few hours, really, after the announcement of the reintroduction of uh, the sexual offences courts. Uh, but uh, let's uh, talk, let's stay with that particular story and talk to uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Katlejo Mohale uh, for an update on uh, uh, kidnapping last week at uh, the UJ, by, uh, at the University of Johannesburg here. But maybe uh, just touch on uh, what uh, Pumzile was uh, uh, reporting uh, good afternoon to you, Kenna. Afternoon, thank you, listeners. Uh, w- what can you tell us about uh, what our reporter was uh, was uh, talking us through? I- I- I'm not too sure if it's your jurisdiction, but I'm not if- even sure if if you are aware of this. But uh, if you are, uh, really, what can you help us? The-, the 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 perpetrators are known, are known to the family. They known to 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 the victim. They've reported. They're receiving threats, and uh, the perpetrators we told are boastful about this and saying that they uh, will rape again if you report this. Um, I think that is totally unacceptable, and we will be looking into it, as you have already mentioned, that it's at the ESRS police station. We will be talking to the detective commander to ascertain as to what has transpired during the case, because I was unaware of this case. Mm. Uh, but uh, it, it happens uh, uh, quite quite often that uh, you, you find that uh, perpetrators are known, and uh, they, they, they walk free. I mean... Uh, they have the family has reported have opened a case and they saying so and so and so and so and so and so this did this to our daughter but they're still roaming the streets um that's why i'm saying to you that in this particular case it has to be looked into i wasn't aware of it in some other instances it's the fact that um sometimes you do not have enough evidence to connect the suspect to the incident all right, we hope to talk to you some more about uh, this particular uh, issue maybe in the uh, days to come. But uh, let's look at uh, the uh, kidnapping situation uh, of a UJ student. What can you tell us? Um, a 19-year-old was um, arrested on Friday afternoon, and he has subsequently appeared in court in the Lenasia, and the case has been postponed for further investigation. Okay, so so uh, th- there's nothing else that you can tell us about this uh, particular incident? Yes, currently um, the case is in court and the suspect is still in custody. All right, uh, we thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Katlejo Mohale uh, right here on SFM 104 to 107. It's uh, 14 minutes to 1. In tune on SAFM. So now the business is up and running. You're making a little bit of money. What are some of the mistakes that people make once the money starts coming in? Uh, swag. <laughs> we like to flash, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Living beyond your means and just showing off new money shouts, old yes. money whispers. In tune on SAFM, for the youth, by the youth. 12 midday to 1 o'clock every Saturday, only on SAFM. Hi, I'm Zoe.
Zolani Maola. You're listening to SAFM. Remember to catch Shop Shop Children's Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 minutes to 2. Keep it Shop Shop. Let's give you your lunchtime market updates. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. And we say good afternoon to Clinton Smith, Portfolio Manager at Sasfin Securities. How are the markets looking today being a midweek here, Clinton? Afternoon, Bongi. Uh, well, we've, uh, we've had a strong dollar this morning, which has pushed commodity prices a little lower today, and uh, we seem to be following the European and Asian markets lower so far. Uh, at the moment, we've got the gold board down 3.6%, uh, resources down 0.4%, industrials down about a half a percent, and financials up 0.6%. Uh, overall, the market's down 146 points at the moment, or 0.4% lower, at uh, 41,428. In corporate news, uh, Old Mutual announcing their results. Uh, yes, Old Mutual came out with interim uh, in- interim numbers this morning. Uh, they reported uh, adjusted operating profit is up by 14%, um, with funds under management increasing by 9% to 289 billion uh, uh, pounds there. Uh, Old Mutual declared an interim dividend of 2.1 pence a share, and uh, they're currently trading 5.6% higher. So quite a nice jump from them at uh, at 30 rand 70 cents. And uh, any big movers uh, on the market today? Uh, trading higher today, we've got uh, something like Nepi is up 2% at the moment at 70 Rand 40. Uh, Marion Roberts up 1.5% at 24 Rand. Uh, Breit is up 1.2% at 4295. And uh, sometimes up 1% at 19125. Uh, trading lower today, African Bank uh, is down 6.3% at the moment, 14 Rand 34. Uh, Anglo Gold down 5.2% at 115 Rand 70. Uh, got Barlow Bill down 3% at the moment, uh, 83.40. And then lastly, Harmony is down 2.6% at 32.99. And uh, your latest market indicators? Uh, gold price is currently $1,278 an ounce. Uh, Platinum is trading $1,420. Uh, Brent crude is currently $105.93 uh, a barrel. Uh, the yield on the R157 is 6.12%. And then finally on the rand, we're trading nine rand ninety four to the dollar, uh, thirteen twenty three to the euro, and fifteen thirty two to the pound. And that's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much to Clinton Smith, portfolio manager at Sasfin Securities. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. Marilyn, please call and cancel my exercise therapy session with a calisthenics posture gait and lower lumbar vertebra specialist. The chiropractor, sir? Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business.
You're with uh, Midday Live on SFM 104 to 107. Thank you very much for joining us. We go to Kenya now and uh, we look at uh, the cost implication of the fire which destroyed the arrival wing of uh, the Jomo Kenyatta International Airport in Nairobi. Officials are saying it's not clear when the airport will be reopened. Our Department of International Relations uh, here in South Africa tells us that uh, it is working hard to assist South Africans stranded at the Kenyan airport. Let's uh, talk to our correspondent in Nairobi. Robbie Sarakimani, good afternoon to you, Sarah. Good afternoon. Great cost indeed for the uh, airliner there. We hear that uh, the share price of uh, the Kenyan Airways uh, has uh, suffered a plunge. Do you know anything about that? Yes, uh, the reports we have is that at the beginning of trading today, uh, the Kenya Airways share went down 2% uh, following the cancellation of most of its flights. Indeed, uh, it's continuing to send updates saying that uh, it has cancelled all its flights indefinitely. Those that were airborne uh, have now been diverted to towns like Mombasa, Kisumu, and also Entebbe in Uganda. Uh, once they land there, they're being transported by buses back to Nairobi or to their destination. So indeed, uh, the airline is still incurring losses, even as it tries uh, to get its passengers back home. Mm. And I'm looking at uh, the, the, the disturbance in, in operations really, uh, the airborne flights as you say uh, being uh, re- redirected to Entembe and many other parts of uh, that uh, country uh, and, and nothing is moving right now. Can you describe the situation for us at uh, the international airport there? Um, what has happened right now is that we've, had just, uh, we've just had another press briefing by the spokesperson of the President's office, uh, the Cabinet Secretary in charge of transport, and also the Cabinet Secretary in charge of uh, internal security. They're saying that uh, beginning this afternoon, uh, probably in about two hours' time, cargo flights and domestic flights will start taking off uh, from the cargo section of the, of the airport because uh, what had happened is that the civil aviation authorities that shut down the whole airport indefinitely. So cargo and uh, uh, domestic flights will begin, so that will probably minimize the losses uh, because Kenya is uh, one of the major trading points for flowers and fresh produce. So already in the morning, the produce that had not taken off, those, uh, the, the, those uh, producers are already counting their losses. Uh, what is happening at the airport is that we are seeing uh, uh, firemen still trying to put out uh, smolders of fire, which can still be seen. Um, hopefully, by afternoon, then uh, domestic flights will begin. They're saying up to now they still don't know when international flights will begin uh, taking off. Mm, but I can imagine the commotion there at the airport, really. Uh, passengers are stranded there. Uh, are there any updates that are being given at least? Yes, uh, what has happened is that uh, both on social media and also uh, uh, on our website, they are give, the government is uh, giving updates. They have now uh, given out a helpline. Uh, but it is important to note that every day 16,000 passengers pass through the Jomo Kenyatta International Airport. The amount of cargo that goes to the airport is also huge. So from morning, uh, 5 o'clock Kenyan time, uh, when the flight stopped, uh, the losses will be uh, huge, huge. The Indian government admitting that uh, with, the demoli- with the destroying, the, the, with the destruction of the arrivals terminal, the losses will be huge. Um, maybe to note that uh, Kenya was actually beginning to build another airport, so probably they will feel uh, some form of consolation even as they try to count their losses there. 
All right, uh, Sarah uh, Kimani, thank you very much. Uh, she's uh, our correspondent in Nairobi and government saying it's early days uh, really uh, to know the cause of the fire. But uh, hopefully uh, later in the day uh, or in a few days to come, we'll know what caused that fire. It's uh, five minutes now to one and time now for Create with Michelle Constant.